When you think about the connection people have with animals, birds aren't usually the first species that come to mind. But today I'm meeting one man who proves otherwise. Josh Cook is what's called an avian behaviourist. He treats birds for physical and emotional issues too. Josh became famous as the Bronte Birdman in Sydney's eastern suburbs. But he's just made a tree change to Queensland and his birds have come along for the adventure. You got the welcoming committee here, Mango and Crush. Oh, wow, you brought the uh, prized macaws with you, hey? Yeah, I mean, they had to come. They, they're part of the family, you know. So you've moved from the city to the country. How's the uh, change been for you? I drove up from Sydney. I packed up my car, put all the birds in. So it was one big happy family. Um, we got here, I think it was 10 hours, and I haven't looked back, to be honest. I first met Mango and Crush back in Sydney, where they were local celebrities. They used to free fly around Bronte, um, love hanging out down at Bronte Beach and visiting all the people that were down there. But um, yeah, so it's all a bit new for them too. You were quite famous at Bronte Beach. Yeah, well these two were, not so much me. Um, these guys had a great um, reputation for destroying BMWs. <laughs> no, no, they used to love getting down there. And, They'd hang down at the playground where the kids were at Tamarama and they really got a uh, name for themselves. They loved the kids, they loved all the high-pitched calls that the little kids would make and then they would do the same sort of thing. What is it about those macaws that you love so much? Look, the macaws, they're just so intelligent and so beautiful and majestic. You know, people will call me a bird brain or whatnot. Traditionally speaking, a bird brain is someone who's not that intelligent, right? But they say these guys have got the intelligence of a three to five-year-old, okay? Well, I believe it's, it's a different form of intelligence, you know, just connecting and feeling and being in their realm. And when you're working with them, you're always finding these new things, things that... I don't know, you feel like you're discovering for the first time. And how have they adapted to the move? They're good. I mean, they're more Avery-bound these days, but they're actually looking like they're going to breed. Oh, they're having a bit of a lover's tiff. Hey, how you doing, Crush? Give me a kiss. Oh, thanks, mate. So they're starting to settle and look like breeding, um, so potentially they'll have some uh, kids of their own <laughs> come spring. Hey, man, go give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. Ah, oh, thank you. The move from the city to the country wasn't just for a change of scenery. Uh, there's a couple of reasons. Could no longer stay in um, where I was at Bronte. The, the place got sold. So, I mean, I could have stayed in Sydney, but Dad was up here and I just bought these hyacinth macaws that I... Uh, want to breed and it was the perfect opportunity to bring them up to dad's place build a nice big aviary and sort of go in this new direction uh still in with the birds but just uh, another side of things these 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 hyacinth macaws i'd followed for a long time and i'd invested a, a lot of emotion into this 
uh, particular pair. So, yeah, I thought the timing's right. They happened to come up for sale at that time and it just seemed the right direction to take. They're beautiful looking birds, bright aqua, bright yellow, with a little green head, aren't they? Yeah, they've, they've been, it's like they've been swimming in a chlorinated pool, but they've got that little green punk hairdo. Um, they, they, this is showing signs that they're territorial and they're getting a little bit, uh, you know, aggressive because they're just letting us know that this is, this is their territory, which is an indication that they're probably going to breed, which is great. It'd be nice to have little baby mango and crushes and I think I'll name them after the beaches that they used to visit. I'll call one Bronte and one Tama, Tamarama. Josh's specialty is teaching birds to free fly. What was it about the free flight that appealed to you? Why did you want to teach your birds to fly away and come back? I mean, that's basically yeah. what free flight is. Look, I, I love that special rapport, to be able to have something that potentially could just keep going and fly away, but actually has that relationship where it wants to come back with you. It's very special to me because I'm working with this animal, this animal that has evolved over millions of years from dinosaurs to through to birds today. Something that, you know, traditionally speaking, we've gone and we've cut its wing and we've put it in a tiny cage. For me, it's connecting and, and wanting to see a bird be a bird, have that flight be, in essence, what a bird is, that freedom of flight. To give that back, I know what to do. I'm in a position I can do that. And to be able to help them, some of these birds are so long-lived, they can live for 80 years. To be able to give that back to them is very important to me. And by giving it back, giving them this freedom, they're also helping me find my path in life. They're giving me a purpose. You know, they've helped me with my career and my passion. So it's a mutual relationship and it's a respect-based relationship. And it helps me to help other people know exactly what they have and, and what the potential of their relationship with a bird can be. How do you develop that bond for it to be able to want to come back? It's all about connecting. So watching a bird's body language, moving in a calm, quiet manner but in a direct manner letting it know exactly what your intent is but in a way where it's not feeling threatened when it gets to build that trust and see that you're not there to harm it it's quite easy but I do have to like I say strip back down to my essence as a being and it's funny you know to be able to take them and lift these boundaries you know a cage or whatever that's around them and to do that, I have to sort of strip back to go forward, if you like, to get them out of the cage. If there's a lesson to take out of it, I would say, you know, a lot of what we do traditionally can not necessarily be the right thing. We need to sort of go back to move forward. And for me to be able to free fly a bird, that's what I do. I go back to the basics and then, yeah. It's, it's really about love and mutual respect, Exactly. I mean, is. if you don't have that from the bird, yeah. the bird, there is no way that obviously it's not going to want to come back for a start. That's exactly right. And, you know, first impressions count. If you start off on a bad note, you know, it's an uphill battle. So you always want to start off on a good note. Baby steps. Don't rush in. Don't try and do too much. You know, back off. Let the birds see what you're all about. I thought we'd head around here and meet uh, Boris. Who's Boris? Boris is a sulfur-crested cockatoo. 
and um, he was surrendered to a pet shop in Sydney. He's 40 years plus. Wow. He's, yeah. Is that at the end of its life, 40? or no. I mean, it's getting pretty old. How old do they live for? Look, he potentially only about halfway there. So really? They live till about 80? He right. could live till he's 80, or maybe wow. more, 100 even. He's in good nick. Look how nice he is. Beautiful white feathers. Yeah, he's nice and healthy. Uh, he has chewed his flight feathers and his tail feathers out of frustration. Um, yeah, hop on, mate. Why is he frustrated? Well, he was at a point in his life where his original owner, I think, may have passed, and so he was handed down to um, the next generation, and I don't think he was getting the attention that he may have had earlier in life. But anyway, I walked into the pet shop at the same time he was getting surrendered, and uh, my mate said, oh, you can have him if you want, and I thought, you know what, I don't need, a, I don't need another bird. And then when he said he was 40, and, you know, I'm 40 and I'm sort of at crossroads in my life and poor old Boris was facing the same sort of thing and I thought maybe it's meant to be. So it was fate and I brought him back with me. And now you're the best of mates? We're the best of mates and he's a beautiful boy and I'll put him over here in the tree and he'll go up and spend his afternoon picking around in the branches and, and doing birdie stuff. Although he's self-taught, Josh is really well-respected in the avian community and quite often has bird handlers and vets contacting him for advice on bird issues that have them stumped. You're more than a free flight trainer. I mean, you've got vets who send birds that they don't even understand or can't help. So you're the can-do guy when it comes to birds, for sure. Yeah, well, look, I've got a lot of experience and I've worked for a long time with uh, birds for over 20 going on 30 years, you know. That's my niche, I suppose, the birds and the wildlife. And so I have a good relationship with a lot of the vets and um, I have a lot of respect for them and they have a lot of respect for me too, so it's a nice thing. And it overall ends up helping the bird. That's a good thing. As an avian behaviourist, it's given Josh an insight into the relationships that humans have with birds, but also that birds have with each other. You've got your little snorting Wilson that's following us around, a little Boston yeah. Terrier with a, little a stick shadow. haranguing us. That's right. How does Wilson get on with the birds? He's good. You know, he's like a little kid because every now and again he'll run out and chase the pigeons just for a bit of fun, just to see them scatter. But he doesn't hurt anything. He's as gentle as anything. He's very knowing and understanding. He's a nice little soul. My little mate he is. You can hear my other little mate over here, the minor bird. Now, you were telling me about the minor bird. You've hand-reared it, and he's a bit of a jealous thing. We can't get too close because he's going to have a go at us. Yeah, I hand-reared him and uh, let him out in Sydney. And he, he, he lived in the garage, and he thought he was one of the pigeons, you know? And now, the funniest thing, he's decided to mate up with this female white pigeon. But she's already got a mate, and he's a pigeon, and... They've just had a baby. Now, the minor bird attacks the male pigeon, gives him Larry Dooley. But the white pigeon has a go at the Indian minor bird and, and then the Indian minor cops it. So it's a bit of a love triangle. So a love triangle between the minor bird, the white pigeon, and where's the other pigeon? There's the other bloke on top of the crate there. Oh, my goodness me. He's keeping his distance. So is he afraid of the Indian minor? Yeah, yeah, he is. But he wants to go in and feed his baby. You watch. Come on. 
See, he doesn't like me. So the Indian miner's having a go at you trying to bite your hand? Yeah, but he loves his little uh, lady pigeon friend here. He's, he's displaying, that's why he's doing all the whistling. Hey, what are you doing, mate? You have a chat? Got to put the cage over the baby, otherwise he, he, he gets stuck into him. Why is he being aggressive to the baby? Because he, it's not his. Oh. So, yeah, he wants the Pidgey girl all to himself. Well, she's a very pretty pigeon, a beautiful white pigeon. She's the sort of pigeon you release at funerals and weddings, isn't she? Yeah, she's very dove-like, so she's. Uh, I can see why he picked her as his girlfriend. Now, so you can hear the baby calling his mum to be fed and then the mum's, the Indian miner's on the outside of the cage and then the pigeon's telling him off. This is a hectic world you live in, Josh. It's very complicated. <laughs> it's all been hands-on knowledge and knowledge that you've picked up along the way? or Yeah, look, it's been self-taught through observation and hands-on experience, but, you know, tips here and there, different vets that pick things up and other carers, and, and it's all put together to culminate to where I am today, I suppose, and... It is second nature at this point. What are the types of um, injuries and things that you're treating birds for? What have you seen over the years? And I'm sure you've seen a lot. Yeah, seen a lot. A lot of things from cat attacks, so road incidents where birds get hit by cars. You know, you see dog attacks. You see poisoning through night birds that eat mice and the poison sits in their system and doesn't actually kill them straight away but through hard times when they start to metabolise the fats it releases the toxins in their system and then they die um, I see a lot of things a lot of nerve fibre bruising where they fly in and concussions and things like that yeah the list goes on this is actually old dairy country and um, this used to be part of the dairy Next door, it's, it's funny because the neighbours, the, the dairy farmers, their surname's Bird. Okay, so we're living next door to the birds. <laughs> Mr and Mrs Bird. That's right, yep. Well, that's meant to be. You're meant to be here, Josh. I think so. That's a sign for sure. Fate may have played a role in Josh's move, but it was his dad, Peter, a former Melbourne Cup jockey, who inspired Josh to work with animals. Where did your love of birds begin, do you think? Oh, it had to be through my dad. Dad would bring home injured pigeons that he'd patch up or baby sparrows that had fallen out of the nest in a horse sand roll and watching them develop from little tiny helpless pink blobs and grow feathers and then fly, it was like, it was magic. And, you know, when you're a kid, you just, this is, it's just another world. And I, I never, never came out of it. I guess I'm still stuck in that world. Josh, there looks like there's a lot of pigeons in this aviary. Uh... There are. To be honest, the pigeons are my pride and joy. I really get a lot of satisfaction out of the pigeons. And they're, I guess they're my roots in what I do with birds as far as free flight training and, and the wildlife rehabilitation. As a young jockey, Peter would often bring home injured birds he'd found at the racetrack, and he taught Josh how to care for them too. Dad kept homing pigeons just as a hobby in the backyard when I was a kid growing up, since the time I could remember. You know, I'd get down there and waste his bird seed, I think, throwing it out, trying to whistle them. I, I couldn't whistle, so I'd say fewer wheat because it sounded like... <whistles> which was his whistle. 
I just remember him saying, okay, mate, I'll, I'll do it now. <laughs> I think a seed would be going everywhere. And what was the whistle for? It just lets them know that it's food time. So, yeah, you'd... I still use the same whistle today for my birds. <laughs> it's been passed down, the, the, uh, the pigeon whistle. Peter was still in his pyjamas with a bad flu the day we came over, but he still managed to come down to the kitchen for a chat. I'd learned minuscule stuff, what he knows now himself. I used to teach him animal behaviour, same as while I was working with horses. When to apply pressure, when to back it off and not make the bird as though it's been hunted from a predator. Let the bird know that you're not there to hunt it. You know, you want it to, to be relaxed and calm around you, do things, and then they'll build the trust with you that they're not going to be hunted. Yeah, that's right. And when I work with the birds too, you know, if my energy's too high, then they're wary and they stand back, you know. I can't work with them, but if my energy is low, they push the boundaries and mistakes can happen, you know. So, yeah, they, they balance you and, and, and you have to, you know, they... You have to be in that zone when you're working with them. Yeah, the, it's, it's right what Josh says. Is, it's it's, it's recognising where animals and birds will pick up a sense in you. And if you can release that, they calm and relax down with you. Peter clearly has the same compulsion to save birds as Josh does, no matter how inconvenient the timing. Like when he was on the way to compete in the Melbourne Cup... As we were going past, I saw it was still moving, and I said, just stop the car, I think that bird's OK. So we didn't have picked it up, and it was pretty banged up. Broken legs and broken wing, and we went back to the motel, and I got this fruit basket, and I put a T-shirt or something in it and wrapped the bird up in and sat it in there. But, because uh, I had to get off, get ready to go to the races, so we... We saved that one. <laughs> Later that day, Peter won the race that stopped the nation. The headline read, Cook Gives Cup the Bird. Are these just your own hens running around? Are they pet hens or...? They're little bantams that, um, yeah, I bred them. I hatched the eggs in my incubator. Oh, of course you did. Yeah, ended up with more roosters than hens and, and now we get a nice, as you can hear, natural alarm clock every morning at 5.30. How many birds do you think you've cared for over the years? Wow. That, that's a, that stumped me because there would be a hell of a lot. Not all of them come out the other side. It's not always a positive outcome, which can be really, you know, it can drain you. It can send you into a state of depression because you invest so much emotion into getting them back and you think you've done something right and then it goes wrong or you do do something right and then it still goes wrong. It can be hard and it can be a challenge, so... I mean, when you get that one that does real well, it seems to make up for all the negativity and the endorphins that it creates. Or you know, it's like a high. Um, it's pretty, pretty special. Here he is. This is a little welcome swallow. It came into care about a week ago now. There were five. They'd flown into some glass, so all four left. 
What are you feeding him, Josh? He's just having a mealworm. Here, mate. Focus on it. It's okay. There we go. Come on. That's it. This is a 24-7 job for you. What keeps you going? I mean, there's not a lot of money in it. It's relentless work. It's day in, day out. I mean, why why do you do what you do? Oh, look, I guess it's my passion. It's like anything. When you, you're doing what you love, you immerse yourself in it, whatever that is. And money has never been a key drive for me. There's bigger and better things out there, and I think... I get lost in in the world of birds, you know, and from the beginning it was magical. And I guess it just shows you there is magic left in the world, you know. Josh tells me that his birds offer him an escape from the real world. They certainly do. And they give me a, a perspective, a different perspective. Well, I believe it's a different perspective. You know, I sometimes get caught up with all these social pressures like we all can. And um, when I'm working with a bird, it's very grounding. It's funny. You know, when they're flying, it's almost like I go up with them and all the problems just get further away and and I'm sort of up there with the birds. But um, I do get lost in that world, yeah. Who brought him in? He was handed in to the vets up in Mount Tambourine and all five were in one group. It was weird. It was like it was... That some sort of dis, they became disorientated because it's very unusual for swallows as a group to fly into a, a glass window unless they're trapped indoors. But these guys actually, it was almost like a food court, I believe. And they maybe they sort of got channeled in there and somehow crashed into the window. Maybe a predator was chasing them, I'm not sure. How long will he be in your care for, Josh? Well, he came in last, I don't know, was it last Thursday, I think it was. So today's Wednesday, it's been a week. He'll probably be another week, another two weeks, just depending on how long it takes for that bruising to settle down. Yeah, so he, all the others would like to go about, uh, well, last weekend, and this little guy just couldn't fly, so he's got a little bit of bruising on some nerve fibres, which is affecting his flight, but uh, another week or so he should be right to go. The others were all mature birds. His markings are indicative of a juvenile, so he's not fully coloured up yet. The adults get the full um, bib, that real uh, red mask and bib, and you can see his is just orangey and he hasn't got the full facial mask yet. But that will develop as he molts. He's a wild bird, but yet you have him sitting very calmly on your hand. How does he become... Is he just because he's bonded with you because he knows you're caring for him or you're feeding him? or yeah. How do you develop that bond? It's just I watch him, I watch his behaviour and I try not to scare him and obviously I want him to be able to feel comfortable enough to take food. So I just basically watch him and move in a direct yet cautious manner. You know, nice, slow, steady movements show him that there's some food. Initially, I was having to force feed him, just pry his little beak open gently without damaging it and put the food down and I'd whistle when I did it. And so I've been able to bridge that and now I just do the whistle and he'll take the little mealworm from my fingers. 
Do you prefer the company of birds over humans? Look, I do enjoy working with humans. I do, well, I enjoy working with humans and their birds. It all needs to be connected, and that's what it's about, to connect everything in this world and in this life and realise that we're all, you know, part of the same goal on the one planet. (laughs) We're all animals? We're all animals, yeah. I think that's something that's very important. What do birds give back to you? You give them so much of your time and your love and your heart. What do you get back from the birds? You see me feeding them and tending to them and healing them. They heal me. You know, my heart grows through being able to work with them and and see them. And they feed my soul, I guess, you know. Like, it gives me hope. And that small amount of time that I'm here on the planet for to be able to influence their well-being is very empowering and it's very humbling. What's the most important thing that birds give back to you? They teach me that sometimes to move forward we have to go back. For me to empower a bird and give it flight, I have to break down a lot of the traditional ways that we have kept birds. Um, have to break down um, myself to a basic primal type state when I'm working with the birds, let go of ego to be able to focus and connect and be passionate. In order to sort of free them from the cage, have to go back to what a bird is, the essence of a bird. You know, they fly. They can't do it with the boundary of a cage. You've got to lift the boundaries and go forward. Set them free. (laughs) And, yeah, look, I guess there's a metaphor in that. You know, the traditions and the goals that we set for society or ourselves and maybe rethink and go back to start again. Josh, you're going to release this little guy in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, hopefully so. That's the idea. Once his wing's working and he's able to fly properly, um, I'll take him back to the hyperdome and, yeah, with a bit of luck, off he'll go. How does that make you feel when you've had him in care, you've fixed him up and then you let him go again? Oh, I feel, you know, it's, it's a great honour to be able to care for these little guys. When you think about it, a bird is a testament of time, you know. They've evolved from dinosaurs and they've done it without any help of doctors or, you know, it's just a natural progression and they're still here today. They, they didn't become extinct and... The small amount of time, you know, they've been around for millions and millions of years and that small amount of time that I'm able to be on this planet, to be able to care for them and and help something that is that, has been here for so long um, and get it back on on its way, it's a a great privilege. Um, You know, for me, it's, it's totally rewarding. I can't think of anything better and it's almost like a legacy. I'm leaving my legacy behind. It's not written as such, but it's within that bird. Yeah, it's very um, rewarding. I strive to do my very best for each bird that comes in. I strive to get it to survive. I strive for a better future for birds, for humanity, for all of us, for this world, for this planet. I think there's a lot to learn through the birds. There's a lot to teach through the birds and I think the more birds, the more people we can reach out to and the more positivity, the better we're all going to be. You know, I'm not saying I'm trying to save the world but I'm doing a little bit of good and I think if we all do a little bit of good then, you know, it's only going to help. 
There's no doubt the connection Josh has when he's touching his birds. For me, it's like love comes through his hands, whether he's tending to a broken wing on a kookaburra or he's feeding his birds. It's like a magic touch, and I think it's a common thread from all the wildlife carers that I see. When you're with them, they really are pouring out their heart and soul. Where All Animals was presented by me, Tracy Preston, producer Ludimovic, executive producer Liv Proud, sound production by Matt Nikolic, creative direction by Jennifer Goggin.